Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, it's an NBA Draft-centric podcast, as we tend to do. Um, now that we're getting into the swing of the season, we're going to have Chris Stone on maybe like once a week, something like that. Probably toward the end of the week, just to send you into your weekend with some hot, sexy college basketball talk. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm really good. Ready for the hot, sexy college basketball talk. If we're talking hot, sexy college basketball talk, we got to talk charges, baby. We got to talk charges. Brad Davison <laughs> making that sexy charge play. Oh, I love it. I hate the charge so much. So do I. I really Forced. hate the charge. Like, if there, I think where one thing I would change about basketball is to get rid of the charge. Not necessarily the one-on-one charge. Like, people shouldn't be able to just, like, push off or whatever. But stepping over, getting in somebody's lane, and taking a charge. I hate it so much. It's so dangerous. It's just, like... It annoys me to no end. Yeah, like I have talked at length about the charges in college basketball. And the worst they're the worst thing in the world to me. I hate them. Um, if I could change any rule in college basketball, it would be to make the charge. As soon as you go up for a shot at the rim, you cannot slide under a player or you cannot. You have to basically try and contest the shot. You can't just, yeah. like, stand there and hold your nutsack. Like, this oh. is not a thing. This is not defense. Yeah, I think that's, like, the obvious, like, baseline. But there are other outlier instances, too. Like, Tremont Waters took, tried to take a charge the other day uh, on the baseline, right? One of those end-of-game plays where the offensive player could run the baseline and then somebody oh jumps in front of the defender. Oh, I no. think it was him that he tried to take one, and he just got, like, waylaid. And the ref was just like, nope, get up. <laughs> and I was so happy. <laughs> didn't brad davison do that last year uh that sounds right yes oh my god it i'm was... really out on those plays oh my god i was so angry i was so angry uh because like they ran a play designed to be what was it like green bay or, or no it was western kentucky yeah. and they had davison just like run directly into the guy oh my god it was the most yeah. infuriating thing yeah. i've ever seen in my life yeah pretty anti-charge podcast i'm i'm out on uh, out on charges forever yeah no um this is definitely an anti-charge podcast i mean like good uh, this is not me like talking shit about brad davison my favorite human being alive because yeah, i actually enjoy brad davison yeah like, <laughs> i actually enjoy brad davison he is working within the rules that are uh set for him but the rules need to change because they are bullshit yeah yeah. Today on this podcast, we're going to first and foremost be sponsored by Hims. So shout out to Hims. Second, uh, we're going to just kind of wing it in a little bit of a way. We have like a general outline, but, you know, we'll see how this goes. We're going to talk about the point guards in the class. We're going to talk about John Morant's game against Alabama. We're going to talk about Darius Garland, who is out for what looks like the season right now, at least. Bryce Drew is expecting it to be the season for Vanderbilt. We're going to talk about Duke's offense and just how they looked a little bit different against Indiana. And it's a little bit interesting, given the fact that uh, R.J. Barrett started to take a bit of a, I guess, step back maybe is the way to put it within duke's offense we want to talk a little bit about quentin grimes and romeo langford the two next guys on my board to uh in the preseason that have kind of struggled after that top four so uh then we're gonna talk about kobe white being kind of interesting i liked kobe white coming into the year and he's basically done what we could have hoped brandon clark we're gonna talk a little bit about bull bull the end of the podcast and then we might mention a few sleepers that have caught our eye and uh, look like potentially interesting prospects here going forward. So, Chris, how was how was the work day? How how was life in DC? It feels like feels like you're a world away from me. 
It's good, man. It's cold now. The Metro's getting bad. So just pretty standard DC winter things. Like if there's any remnants of snow, the city shuts down. So that's kind of a, a mess. Um, but yeah, DC's like winter, summer situation. Neither are good, but the times in between are terrific. Yeah, I think that uh, by the time you guys listen to this and by the time um, you guys uh, hear this, because I'm going to release it on Saturday morning. Uh, I will probably be at Nevada USC. That's my goal. I might try and stop by UCLA and Loyola Marymount on the weekend as well. Cause apparently Loyola Marymount is good uh, for some strange reason. Um, that's what the net says. It's what the net says, baby. They're actually not bad. I've watched a couple of their games because I have no life. Um, but other than that, I'm kind of in, in here in Los Angeles for a little while. The good news is that people are coming to me this week or next week. We've got that big triple header for the Hall of Fame challenge. We've got the games in Phoenix with Gonzaga coming up as well. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited, man. It's good. It's good to have basketball come to me. Yeah, no, that's way better than having to go to basketball. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> well, it's not just go to basketball, but like it's having to travel and get on a plane. I don't want to deal with that. I agree. I'm um, not a fan. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Ja Morant, because Ja Morant is a very intriguing prospect right now for a multitude of reasons. I think first and foremost, it's worth mentioning that there's kind of a, uh, a dearth of point guard options in this class. Uh, the point guard class that entered college basketball this season that were freshmen, a bit below average. I, I really like Darius Garland. I like Trey Jones. But after that, it was very questionable in terms of who the next best point guard is. Some people think it's the Kentucky guys. Uh, some people think it is you know, a multitude of options out there. It's just kind of hard to find that next guy. And it's hard to find that guy at the top next to Darius Garland. And it looks like John Morant is if not even just next to Darius Garland, he might be better than Darius Garland. Uh, and the reason that we can say that is that he has been just unbelievable to start the year. Yeah, he's had just a ridiculous uh, collection of numbers put up over the course of the season. And this is coming off of a year where I think people sort of expected him to be good after his freshman season, but he's doubled his usage rate and basically doubled his assist rate and just taken on a significantly higher offensive role and is already putting up uh, insane numbers, 27.8 which, points, which by the nine way, assists. You, you mentioned double the assist rate. Um, yeah. His assist rate last year was 33.1. So Correct. yes, yes. <laughs> it was very yeah. good. Yeah, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Doubled. <laughs> He's at Almost. 59 assist rate right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and still scoring efficiently, has a 66% true shooting percentage. So just some of the, realistically, like some of the most ridiculous numbers that exist in college basketball right now belong to John Morant. And you know, you know what think, the most ridiculous number of all is? Which one? So in the games he's played Division One competition this year, so three of them, he's taken forty two and a half percent of Murray State's possessions. Uh, That's not surprising at all. To compare that though to like Trey Young last year, uh, Trey Young was at thirty eight point five percent of Oklahoma's possessions. John yeah. Morant is more to their offense to Murray State's offense than what Trey Young was last year. Yeah, I mean, there was a time in the Alabama game where Alabama switched to a 2-3 zone and just used the top two players of the zone to meet John Morant at half court and make him pass. Yes, it was. And that was were, like the purpose of the zone. They were literally double teaming him <laughs> every time. It yeah. was amazing. Um, but 
you know, the other interesting thing about him is that he's really young for his class, right? So he's an August birthday, just turned 19 this August. And so whereas some sophomore players that we would think about in this vein are, are older and don't necessarily have the same type of upside, like, I think it's totally fine to consider him in the same realm as these freshman point guards and not have to worry about, you know, this is an older prospect who, in theory, may have less upside. And so... Uh, I think he's a super interesting player. There are some specific things that I really like about him that that stand out that we can talk about. So the the first thing that I'll bring up that I really like is that he doesn't have to change speed to change direction. Uh, yes. Like, it, it's kind of unbelievable. Uh, he can just go, like, with behind-the-back crossovers at full speed going downhill and, like, totally change the way he's going on the floor. And defenders just look at him like... What the fuck did you just do? How is that possible? Yeah. Like it's it's incredible. And that's not to say that he can't change speeds. He can. But it's more that he is such a lightning bolt changing direction that it's I don't know how anyone's going to stay in front of him. Yeah. So it's interesting that that's the place that you start, because the two things that I like the most about him are he's able to string advanced dribble moves together. So like he can go behind his back and then cross over or something like that, or behind his back and then into a spin move. And those are things that point guards his age don't necessarily have. Like some of them have the first advanced dribble move, but nobody really has the second one or the counter to the way that the defender is going. Uh, And that really stands out. And then it's funny that you mentioned, you know, not changing speeds or something like that, because I actually think his deceleration is like some of the best that I've seen. It certainly was against Alabama. He had, he had one play in transition where he was just running full speed and and like you mentioned is able to go behind his back at full speed but also go behind his back and just stop and the defender runs in front of him he changes direction easy layup and his ability to go stop and then go explosively again is really some of the best that i can remember in my short time doing this um, it is part of the reason why I think he's such an interesting prospect, just because he's not the most necessarily explosive vertical athlete or anything like that, although he is a good vertical athlete, but he's a really, really functional athlete in the way that he moves and finishes around the rim and stuff like that. Yeah, he just can take the ball and do... He is like the definition of keeping the ball on a string. And yeah. again, he's doing it at 19. Like This is a kid that, I mean, he like was not found until the second to last weekend of July basketball um, in his senior going into his senior season of high school. Uh, He was off the radar basically entirely to the point where like, it's, it's like a miracle that Murray state found him even right. Uh, Like didn't grow up in like a super wealthy part of uh, South Carolina. He played the craziest thing about it all is like he played on some really good basketball teams. Like he played with Zion Williamson at a certain time. He played with Nick Claxton, who's at Georgia right now. Like people had a chance to find him and he got an offer by the end from South Carolina. But like he he's at Murray State just by sheer luck, basically. And yeah. he is totally unbelievable. And he's not going to be at Murray State for long. Like we can feel pretty confident yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I told you today that I think that there's a reasonable chance he's a top 10 prospect. Um, and I, I, I feel pretty comfortable with that. Like, he's just really, really good. There are, I think, some obvious question marks that have to be sort of sorted out, like whether or not he can shoot, what's going to happen to him defensively, because he's 6'3", and, and I think he's like a very legitimate 6'3". He looks yeah. somewhat tall and somewhat long, but he's very skinny. Um, he competes defensively, but it's certainly clear that, like, 
at least in his current form, NBA teams will hunt him defensively. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a concern. And then it's just like, does the offensive game make up for that? Or is he going to get stronger and play well enough defensively? I think one of those two things is likely to happen. And, and that's what makes me feel pretty comfortable about him as a point guard. Yeah. Like defensively, there's some like Terry Rosieri like aspects to him where yeah. he does fight and he does battle, but because he's so skinny and just yeah. kind of struggles with bigger stronger guards or even in switch scenarios um where he gets kind of locked into a bigger player he is going to struggle with that like there's not really a question in my mind um the thing that most concerns me about him right now are the turnovers uh so far this season 10 turnovers (laughs) against alabama seven turnovers against missouri state seven turnovers against Wright state um that's concerning no question uh, he is a guy who I don't really know what to make of his decision making yet. Some of it is because, again, he is everything to Murray State's offense and they don't have a crazy amount of shooting next to him. Like they really only have two other guys that I feel even reasonably confident will make a three. One of them is a freshman who's made nine of his first 21 shots from three. Uh, the other one is a junior who's like kind of a bigger dude who plays, I think the four for them. Um, he's shooting like 40%, but the other guy that they need, like they need the guy in the backcourt uh, to be able to knock down threes a little bit. And he hasn't been able to do it either. Yeah. So I'm not real sure what to make of, all of this yet with him from uh, three point range and with him as a decision maker more than that. And, and, you know, I bring up him from three point range here too quickly. Uh, He was a guy who shot 79% from the line last year. He's at like, uh, I I believe something similar to that right now. Uh, He's at 82. Yeah. He's at, he was at 80 last year. He's at 82 this year. Um, That that's good. That portends potential touch at least but like i'm not really someone who buys into the like free throw shooting uh you know portends the ability to make three point shots because it's just a totally different skill set in my opinion yeah i i guess i deal with those two concerns and i I would say this i'd say in terms of the three-point shot i think he's projectable to be at least an average three-point shooter and given the types of shots he's required to take um I think that that's sufficient. Like if you are a 35 to 36 three-point percentage guy while shooting a decent per number of pull-up threes, that's totally fine. And I think that that's within range. I also think that, you know, I, I probably trust those project, projection systems a little bit more than you do. But I also think he's a situation where he's going to get stronger. Yeah. And that's really going to help him from distance because right now I think he comes up short a decent percentage of the time and just adding lower body strength is going to make a big difference for him. Yeah, I think um, that's a really good point. Yeah. And then just in terms of the turnovers, I think, you know, historically that's one of the numbers that as players get older tends to go down. Um, obviously in, in individual cases, we don't know if that's necessarily going to be true, but I would probably bet on it being true that, that as he progresses as a player, that that number will go down some. Now, the fact that it's starting so high is perhaps concerning, <laughs> um, but yeah. I think decision-making is something that probably will improve over time. So you have him in the top 10. I would have him somewhere like probably in the 8 to 12. I haven't redone a board yet, but that's probably where I would have him, somewhere 8 to 12. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure where he goes in all of this. Um, I mean, like, do you like him or Bull Bull better? Uh, Just to like totally, yeah, that's totally tough. go with two entirely separate players. Yeah. 
Um, I might like him a little bit better than Bol Bol right now. I, I have some real just like Bol Bol questions that I'm not super sold on. Um, we'll talk about Bol him, Bol in a minute, like at the end of the podcast because I wrote. I was thinking like him versus Keldon Johnson. Yeah, that's a good question because like because right, I think then you you battle some some questions about archetype and role in the NBA. Yeah, so like I have Keldon Johnson like in that tier. I have Bull Bull in that tier. I have Jaw in that tier. Uh, the guy that we'll talk about, Darius Garland, in a little bit. I have Romeo Langford somewhere in that tier. Quentin Grimes is in that tier somewhere. Like yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just a big tier. I mean, once you get past the top guys in this draft, there's just this collection of like what types of things are you looking for for your NBA franchise? And maybe there's an argument that Morant should be higher because I don't know what the like percentage likelihood is that he ends up as someone who can handle the ball as a primary in the NBA. But like, I would bet at this stage that it's higher than say Keldon Johnson. And I would probably bet that it, him being a centerpiece of an offense is higher than bull bull. Um, and so, you know, you're just going to have like this battle of what is it that you value and where do you want that to fit in and in your decision making process? Yeah. And for every team, it's going to be very different for each one yeah. of these guys. Um, so let's move on uh, to Darius Garland and we'll kind of compare and contrast uh, sure. John Morant and Darius Garland a little bit because they are competing with one another for basically to be the top point guard off the board in this class. In my opinion, Trey Jones yeah. might get in there at some point, but I'm not quite as sold on Trey as the other two. Um, Darius Garland though, bummer. He is going to miss the rest of the regular season with what is apparently a torn meniscus, right? Yeah, that's the, uh, stated reason that seems odd to me given historic recovery times for that injury but you know well it's we like are. six weeks right typically six yes. to eight weeks uh yeah i think more four to six but like somewhere in that four to eight range depending on when you get back on the floor and building up strength and stuff like that yeah i mean i, I don't know we'll see what it looks like whenever uh he gets back but i think that they are calling this uh this injury and out for the season scenario yes. um with garland Kind of a different player than Ja Morant entirely. Is he is he younger or older than Ja? By the way, he's a couple months younger. Yeah, so he's a January two thousand and Ja's August two thousand. August ninety nine. August ninety nine. Sorry, I'm bad with years. Yeah. Um. So Darius Garland is a better pull up shooter. I would say. I like, agree. No question in my mind there. A probably not as good of a passer at this stage. I would say. I agree. I think he has a more advanced pull-up game. He just has more ways to get to his pull-up jump shot. Uh, yeah, I mean, Morant, I think, has a better handle. Yes. But his handle is devoted primarily to getting to the basket. Yes. Uh, yeah. I would say Morant has a tighter handle. I would say Jaws probably a little bit quicker. I agree. Um, I would say Darius is a little bit more polished. Um, that's probably true, just in terms of like the jump shot and that skill. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ja is probably a little bit better defensively. Yes. So the question with Garland versus Ja basically revolves around how much you value the jump shot and the ability to put pressure on the defense with the pull-up jump shot versus Ja's incredible ability to gain separation. Yeah. Um, and, and mixed into that, obviously, is the projectability of Morant to get to some degree better uh at being a jump shooter um 
I think certainly right now Garland is is ahead in that department. He will probably remain ahead in that department. Um, I don't know that he like. I feel very comfortable with John Morant's ability to get separation against NBA players. Yeah, I don't know that I'm there with Darius Garland quite yet. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, it's more he's more polished, change of direction, change of pace. I think his change of pace is probably a little bit more polished than what Jaws is right now. Um, But Morant's just handle and his ability to change directions and uh, quickness is at a higher level. And I think it just makes him a more effective driver and he's a better passer as well. So like, I don't know. I don't know how I would compare them. Like if I think if I was a team that had a lot of shooting from, every position on the floor, I'd probably be willing to take the flyer on Morant. If I was a team that needed uh, a bigger threat off the dribble to be able to just pull up and knock down shots from 30 feet, I'd probably take Darius. I I think it's really close though. I think it's really close. I would probably lean John Morant for, for probably two distinct reasons. One is that I think he's a better passer and distributor. Like I think he is once he has better teammates going to make those teammates better, he throws some crazy passes that are just, you know, really, really good finds. Yeah. Um, and then I also just think the likelihood that, well, you know, we just mentioned Morant, like not a great defender, but he is definitely bigger than Darius Garland is. Yeah. Um, and I think that the likelihood that he gets targeted defensively and gets put into tough spots in, in playoff positions where I would be concerned about it um, is probably lower. And so I think that those two would, would tilt me in Morant's direction, but Garland's kind of surefire, like likely surefire pull-up game is a real is like the one thing that would pull me in his direction. Honestly, I think they're both getting headhunted. So like, I, I do too. I just think Morant has maybe like a slightly lower percentage chance. Yeah. Um. So with Garland, we're not going to get to see him the rest of the year. We'll see him pre-draft. Um, I'm sure I'll be out here in LA and get a chance to see him perform at some point with whatever agency he goes with. And look, it's worth mentioning too. Like it's not for sure that either of these guys are going to leave first and foremost, but like with Garland, I mean, I talked to him. He does really like college. He really likes Vanderbilt. He likes Nashville. He grew up there. Um, He enjoys going to school. He's going to school for broadcasting and really enjoys his time doing that. So like I would venture he leaves because I think you should leave anytime you're a top 20 pick, but like, I don't know. It's possible. I mean, there's, there's always someone every year who we expect to leave who does not leave. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah. Do we want to move to Kobe White real quick and just like throw him into this mix as point is like the point guard? Class? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, so Kobe White, you wanted to talk about Kobe White more than I like cared to, I guess is the way <laughs> to put it. Like he's, he's a good player. I had him in the first round in the preseason. I continue to have him like in the late first round right now. Um, unbelievable shooter uh just a guy that can uh if you like close out on him off the catch he's gonna sidestep you and just go right into a pull-up jumper with ease uh very very good uh I i like his handle i don't i don't love his handle necessarily i think that he is uh do you think he's six five because i don't no I think he's the more hair, like the hair does it. Yeah, I think he's more like six three and a half, six four, and he doesn't have super long arms. And he's been awful defensively. Like he's been a big problem oh, yeah. for UNC. Yeah, I mean that whole team has been awful defensively. Right. So <laughs> it's been a struggle. Um, you know, the reason that I wanted to mention him, I think, is just because over the last weekish or so since Thanksgiving, those two tournaments, I think he's really shown himself to be one of the better pull up shooters in the class. And that yep. that is uh, a worthwhile thing to mention, given 
the importance of that in the modern NBA. You know, he had seven three-pointers and 33 points against Texas, four threes and 19 points against UCLA. He had just struggled a little bit. Jalen hands. Yeah. Struggled <laughs> a bit versus Michigan, but I, I basically expect literally everybody to struggle against Michigan this year because they're going to probably be the best defense in the country. Especially um, point guards because Xavier Simpson is yeah. just, he is a bear defensively. Yeah. Like, yeah. And like, Unbelievable. He's really good defensively, and then they have Teske, who's like a terrific rim protector, who's going to make it really hard for guards to score around the rim. So, and Charles Matthews helping in from the yeah. side, who is super, super athletic and super tough defensively. They're yeah. they're a monster defensive team. Yeah, they're really fun. Um, but I think it's just worth mentioning because. I think while people were reasonably high on Kobe White coming into the season, we never really got to see the actualization of that pull-up game until the last week or so. And I don't think he's ever really going to reach into that conversation with Garland or Morant to be the top point guard in the class. But I do think that um, you know he could be in that conversation with Trey Jones and that sort of next tier of point guards. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, at some point, he's going to have to defend, though. Like hundred percent do something yeah. defensively. And, I, and that goes for Darius Garland. If he was to play this year, it goes for, we've seen enough for Morant, I think to at least like say, Hey, this guy fights defensively at the very least. Um, yes. Trey Jones though, is a great defender. At the point really of attack. Good. He is yeah. awesome. And I think that that is his big differentiating skill among these guys. Trey Jones is the best, best distributor and he's the best defender among this group. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would, maybe separate distributor into two things. I think he's probably the best decision maker among the group. Yeah. I don't know that I think he's the best, like pure passer. Like I'm very impressed with some of the passes Morant throws. Uh, it's just that some of the passes he attempts to throw are bad ones. And yeah. so they end up in turnovers, but um, you know, just given the the quality of Trey Jones's decision making, obviously I think that, that he probably tops the list. Should it, like, are there any other point guards we want to mention? Like Carson Edwards has done basically exactly what, Carson Edwards would be expected to do um, yeah, in every way. I don't know that there's anybody who really excites me otherwise. Um, Shamari Ponce is fine. Carson Edwards is fine. But like, I think that there's a chance that the first four guys that we mentioned would someday develop into starting level players in the NBA. Uh, I think the chance that like Edwards and Ponce do is not particularly high. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't like, even know that Quentin I Grimes is there. like Quentin Grimes exists somewhere in this conversation, but he's more of an off guard. So maybe it's best that we transition into him and Romeo Langford. Uh, sure. You know, I don't even know that I want to like throw struggles on it for Romeo Langford necessarily. Um, he did not play well against Duke. He genuinely did struggle a lot against Duke, but you know, a lot of guys are going to get thrown off by all of that athleticism this year. Um, so Romeo Langford's averaging 18.6 rebounds, two and a half assists, 47% from the field, and he is shooting 22% from three. I will say the intel on Romeo Langford, like coming from executives and like scouts, like that have gone to Indiana's practices that I've talked to, um, they've not been like super impressed with what they've seen. Um, I, I will say this though, like I think that he's been mostly okay for them in games out side of the duke game now the duke game happened on the biggest possible stage that any <laughs> game could have happened for um yeah. which is a problem for him but like he dropped 22 on marquette with five rebounds and two assists dropped 22 on arkansas with 10 rebounds and five assists um he's good against uc davis uh, he's been good at been good for like a majority of their games this year he just was atrocious against duke 
Uh, he, he was really bad. He shot three of 15 from the field, missed all four of his threes. He struggled with their length inside. Um, you saw basically all of the questions and you have seen throughout, throughout the course of the year with his jump shot, uh, all of the questions that people had about him kind of on display. Um, yes, I would perhaps push back a tiny bit uh, in that. I really thought that he, while he did not have a good game, was one of the few players on Indiana's roster who looked like he belonged on the court in that game. Um, He still, when he was able to get the ball, I think he got to the free throw line like 11 times or something. Does that sound right? Um, 10 times, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was at least able to, I think, put the pre- put some pressure on the defense, put them in compromising positions at a few occasions. Uh, and I, I don't think that in that game he was worked into Indiana's offense particularly well. I thought that Duke's defense, God, Duke's defense was decent in that game, which is a compliment that I don't often give. Um, <laughs> Duke, Duke came out in that game and basically yeah. decided, you know what, uh, we lost last game. People are talking shit about us. Yeah. We are going to fucking wreck this group. Like, we are going to do just, like, everything we can. They they denied the ball on the wings, which is a hallmark of their defense, and their ball pressure was really good. Like, Indiana a couple of times had Langford ducked in for post-ups, and there was at least one time he got really great position on RJ on a post-up and just, like, couldn't get the ball. And right. so... I, I do think he was bad in that game, but I do think that there were like a couple of things that you can take away and be like, look, the kid belonged on the court. Now, he is a clear tier below the guys that he was playing on the court with from the other team, but he at least looked like he could be there. Um, And that's okay. Uh, But the things that you mentioned, the struggles with the jump shot, um, some of the struggles, I think, in terms of creation and getting downhill, dealing with length. All of that he is like a significant concern. He, he's a straight line driver, pure and simple. He yes, doesn't yeah. change direction really all that well. Um, he is a guy that can change paces really well, I would say. Yep. Um, yeah. He knows how to play. He knows how to get space off the ball, which is really important too. He like Romeo Langford is a good player. I, I don't mean to say he's not a good basketball player. Um, no, I know. He is... He just really struggled against Duke, I thought. And, you know, it it is what it is. Like, I still have him as a top 10 guy uh, in this class. I have him at, like, 9 or 10, depending on what you think of John Morant. Um, I don't know. But, like, again, what I keep coming back to is I I like him, but, like, NBA executives that I've talked to are like, I don't know. I mean, and the reason that I think they're saying that is if he can't shoot, which I think is like a real concern. He was 74th out of 108 players on the Adidas circuit last year, 17 and under to shoot at least 50 jumpers uh, in terms of efficiency. So he was like in the bottom 25 percentile or whatever, bottom, bottom third, maybe we'll say. Um, So that's not a good sign. Uh, His mechanic, like it looks like he should have a good jump shot. He has good touch. He has good uh, athletic fluidity, but I don't really like the mechanics is the problem. And if he doesn't shoot the ball, so he's a straight line driver at the next level who has potential to be like an average defender. What is his role? Yeah, I was, that's exactly where I was going to go next is what does he translate to in the NBA? And I think that that question is getting harder and harder to answer. You know, when it came into the season, I think that there was some hopes that he could be a wing creator who could generate points from that position. And I think we're starting to see that the likelihood of that is perhaps not particularly high. And well, like all, all he, that he needs to do, though, is shoot. If he can shoot, it opens yeah. up everything for him because he sure, is a good straight true. line driver. He is good 
it understanding how to pump fake guys and get into the lane attacking closeouts. Like he's long, he can finish at a reasonable clip at the very least, I think, in the NBA. I agree. So like the problem is that if he can't shoot though, what right. is what is the what is the value add? Because teams will just sag off of him at that stage and it'll make life hard for everyone else. So yeah. it's it's like the for me, like Romeo Langford's ability to shoot the ball might be one of the biggest swing skills for any might generally just might be one of the biggest swing skills in this entire draft. If he can shoot the ball, he is to me like a top seven or so player in this class. If he can't shoot the ball, I don't know what the role is. Yeah, no, I think that that's totally fair. And and you mentioned the lack of mechanics, and I would mention the lack of results as well. Um, 34 for 51, 67% from the free throw line. So it's not like we're seeing a situation where there's a small sample size from three-point range and he's struggling there. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it translate at the free throw line where like he's getting more opportunities on easier shots and just not having those go in either. And that's yeah. really concerning. Yeah, so uh, it's this is like he is the ultimate guy where it's worth saying like the scouting process is or the scouting evaluation uh you know process right now is long we have yeah. eight months until draft day basically so if he can take those eight months improve hey i can knock down shots i can knock him down on the move um even like as a catch and shoot guy i can knock him down that will be critical to his stock no one's writing off romeo langford but that's where we're at we do need it comes to a stage where we need to see the results and through uh, seven games for them, I believe he just hasn't, he hasn't shown them yet. And, and like, this is a problem going back now for a little while. Yeah. It's a concern. Um, Quentin Grimes, uh, please. Dude, we we heaped praise on these two guys the last time we talked and now they're just terrible. So Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with Quentin Grimes. Uh, cause I don't think Bill self knows what to do with Quentin Grimes yeah. right now, which is I a mean, problem. Grimes for people who don't know has just been horrific for like three or four games now, three games. Uh, really unable to find his way in the offense. And I think, you know, I'll say this. I think that there is something to, he doesn't know what his role is supposed to be in Kansas's offense yet. I would say yes. that in their starting lineup, he is currently the fifth option. Um, I think Devon Dotson transition buckets and just like straight line drives in the half court are a higher option than he is right now. LeGerald Vick has attached literal flamethrowers to his hands. Uh, and then obviously Kansas has gone back to playing the two big lineups with Deidre Klaassen and Udoka Azabuki. And so I do think that there's some Grimes just doesn't know where he fits yet uh, problems going on. But he's not, you know, doing much to really like grab those opportunities either. Yes, I agree with that. It is, like you said, a very difficult fit. Kansas has also had just a bear of a schedule. Like, oh yeah, they've played five teams that legit, I would probably project to make the NCAA tournament right now. Like even Louisiana, um, they're probably one of the two favorites or so in the Sun Belt. So I don't know what to make of all this. Like it, Kansas always plays a really tough schedule and, you know, it's, it's kind of trial by fire for Bill Self, but... Uh, it's it's something that he needs to he needs to like just be good at a certain stage and like you said he hasn't taken the bull by the horns yet uh we're talking about over the course of the last three games decreasing minute totals in every one he didn't really close against marquette or tennessee uh he got benched for charlie moore (laughs) yeah like if you're a lottery player getting benched for charlie moore that's probably not a good sign right so like we're a long way from quentin grimes dropping down 
six out of 10 from three on opening night against Michigan state. Um, but it's flashes. You know what? Quentin Grimes has shown flashes. I don't think anyone is sitting here saying that he is like a bad prospect. He's still like a lottery guy for me. Yeah, I think so too. Um, there are certainly some like very concerning numbers. Like he's shooting 29% on twos and has one point in, uh, nine or eight or nine pick and roll possessions. So that's not ideal. Um, and those will be numbers to watch, but he's not necessarily someone to give up on yet. It's just a matter of, you know, can he find where he fits in the role that he's in? Yeah. And like, it takes time for guards under Bill Self typically and wings, especially. And like, he's kind of, he's kind of both a wing and a guard. So, oh God. Um, straddling the line. Let's move on. Let's talk about Duke. And before, after we talk about Duke, we'll pay some bills with a advertisement, but Duke discuss. Um, well, in Maui, they it lost just a basketball game. It has game. to be a recurring bit. We have to just discuss Duke, I think. Yeah. In in Maui, they lost a basketball game because they didn't give their best player the ball at the end of, of regulation. Um, and it led to significant questions about R.J. Barrett. And I don't know how serious to take those questions yet, but I do think that they are fair questions. Yeah, I mean, he played selfishly for... He's played selfishly, realistically, for all of those games <laughs> outside of Indiana. But, like, particularly at the end of the Gonzaga game, it was it was selfishness that really... It was just noticeable, right? Like, right. It, it was obvious that he should pass. And, and look, I want to put a little bit on this, on Duke as a, a staff, perhaps, in that it's not like there was stuff happening off the ball that R.J. Barrett could have passed to. Like, for example... Um, Zion on one of those possessions is just like hanging out at the top of the key. Right. But and it like, was obvious that he should have found something to do with the other, the ball with the ball other than try to shoot it through three people. Right. And like based off of Kay's comments after the Indiana game where he chastised people, because that's what Kay does. Um, of course he does. Like it's worth noting that it seems like Duke is telling RJ do this, go, yes. do, go attack. Who cares? Like we, we are happy to see you go attack. Yes. I think that that is something that they are telling him. Um, you know, I, ever since that kind of Grayson Allen, Brandon Ingram team, Duke's offense has involved just a significant amount of isolation plays and a lack of creativity, I think, for how to use some of their best players. Yeah, Co- Coach um, K has you know, been significantly more unlikable since that team as well. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like we had the Tatum Kennard team that just traded ISOs between those two guys. And now it's basically trading ISOs between RJ and Zion. And I do want to point out that against Indiana, I thought we saw some new stuff. Like Zion got used as a screener a couple of times. He had a really nice play where he slipped a ball screen and got a wide open layup. Um, And I think that that's good because there are things in there that Zion will do in the NBA that we haven't seen yet. Um, but I think that they're given their talent level could be a lot more creativity to the things that they do other than barrel RJ Barrett towards the rim. Uh, and I think RJ as a player could probably be better uh, about what's happening in those situations as well. Yeah. I think that that's absolutely 100% right. Um, it's not just the Duke staff. It's definitely part RJ because RJ, I mean, like I wrote in the thing I wrote on Duke opening week, like, you know, I had an assistant coach text me that was watching from TV. Like this dude is like selfish right now and yeah. he hasn't passed the ball. So like it's noticeable to everyone in the basketball industry. It's noticeable to people on TV. I think um, RJ shot counter versus or RJ miscounter versus Zion, like total shot counter right now. Yeah. 
We are at, I believe, 90 shots for Zion Williamson versus 83 misses for R.J. Barrett. So that's not great. Um, It's I I liked the fact, though, that there was some growth in the Indiana game. Uh, It did seem like R.J. took a slight step back. Now, it's worth mentioning R.J. was sick in that game. Um, could have been just like he was sick and <laughs> didn't have as much energy to go and barrel toward the basket. Um, but having said that, I, I, I like to think, I like to believe that he's figured it out that like he needs to slow down a little bit, survey the floor because again, he's a very, very good passer and he's very, very skilled. He is very polished. He is a smart basketball player for the most part. I just would like to see him play better and play smarter. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the demands on someone of his caliber are just high. And the margins, when we talk about these top prospects, I think are are generally slim. Now, when I say that, I kind of think at this point there's a reasonable gap between Zion and RJ for me. But RJ and sort of that next collection of players, like there are thin margins. And yeah. having RJ be the best that he can be with the demands that we would put on him. Like, I think that there is... Basically, very little question RJ should be the second best prospect in this draft. Um, And I don't think he has played to that level yet. I will say I think that you could make a case for Cam. Um, But RJ has been really good. And look, like for all this stuff, like all this hand-wringing, RJ Bear is a 49 true shooting percentage right now. Like, he's still eight in Ken (laughs) Baum's player of the year ratings. Because he's capable of creating shots. He's a capable passer. He doesn't turn the ball over. Um, he's like a reasonably effective defender draws fouls like crazy. Like he's an effective basketball player. He is a very, very good basketball player. Um, he's probably one of the five best basketball players in college basketball right now. Um, just there, there are concerns and we talk about these things on the margins. Absolutely. I mean, there are just things to watch. Yeah. I hope RJ gets better. I would like to see him. I would like to see him thrive. Uh, If there's a time, it's this next stretch of games that they play. So I'll be really interested to see how this next stretch kind of ends up because they have Stetson, Hartford, Yale, and Princeton over the next, like, let's say weeks. three weeks. Yeah. yeah. Cause their game against Texas tech isn't until December 20th. So let's see, let's see what they look like. Right. Can, yep. can these guys uh, kind of adjust a little bit because this is the time to do it. Um, the time to adjust for men who lose their hair, uh, you know, it's it's right now instead of later because 66% of their men lose the hair by the age of 35. And when you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. Uh, how are you going to feel from how are you going to feel a year from now if it's business as usual up there or if it's not business as usual up there? Uh, I have a solution for you. It's forhims.com, a one stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. It's a really, really great product. Uh, Hims connects you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Uh, these are no waiting rooms, no awkward doctor visits. You save hours by going to forhims.com. It's so easy. You just answer a few questions. The doctor reviews and can prescribe you with what you need. Uh, if you order now, my listeners are going to get a trial month of Hims for just $5 right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4hims.com slash game theory. That's G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash game theory. 4hims.com slash game theory. Uh, Chris. 
Do yes, we want to talk about the Cam Reddish of it all? Um, we can a little bit. I mean, like to me, Cam Reddish is being like a saint right now. Um, <laughs> he's he's watching these dudes just like chuck all over the place, and like Cam Reddish, he was the first of the trio to commit to Duke, right? Yes. Um, I can't imagine that when he committed, he expected both of these guys to be there. And that's not to say like he's upset with the way Duke is right now. He's, he's not like, or like he's, he's not a fan of, right. You know, playing with RJ and Zion, like it from all intents and purposes, it seems like everyone on that team is very, very close, but like, I would imagine that this is not how he expected his, what is likely his only college basketball season to go, where he's essentially just a floor spacer that can occasionally attack closeouts and is counted on defensively. That is really literally all that he does. Like, he does not. It is a bummer because he's really, really talented. Now, my concern is that the situation that he is in perhaps plays into some of the concerns that we previously talked about in terms of his passiveness. Um, and that worries me. Uh, and also is problematic from a scouting perspective because we're not really getting to see an opportunity where he, you know, controls a lot of the offense. And one of his best skills is perhaps his ability to create offense for himself and others. And he's just not getting a ton of chances to do that right now. Um, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, but yeah, this was a guy know, in high school that like, brought the ball up the floor and was like right. a point forward, like point guard type guy. Um, yeah, Good. Uh, I was just going to say the reason that people were excited about him isn't because he's a six foot nine, three point shooter. Like, but like, you know what <laughs> to say this, it's, kind of good that he's showing that he can be a 43% three point shooter right now. Like hundred percent. It's actually kind of essential and important that he can do this. Uh, he needs to be able to space the floor to reach his ceiling. Like the fact that he's shooting 43% already as a 19 year old is huge. It's momentum is huge. Chris to yeah. quote Ray Lewis. Momentum is huge. <laughs> that's how it works. Um, um the he's positive he's, on a high number of attempts. Yeah, he's done it on a high number of attempts so far. Uh, he's just play, he's playing really well. He is doing exactly what he is asked, and I think that that is worth commending. And I would like at some point to see him get a chance to have the ball in his hands and like kind of destroy folks, like we saw in the AAU circuit. Hundred percent. Trey Jones, we've talked about a little bit already. Yes. I don't think we need to go there. Um, who do you think the best fifth guy is with this roster? Jack White, probably. I'm a big White Jack guy. Uh, yeah. Jack White, I think, is very clearly the best guy. Statistically so far, that has been the case, as well as uh, it just looks better with him out on the floor. He's a little bit better of a defender than Marquise Bolden, maybe a lot better in some situations, like where Gonzaga runs you through mm-hmm. a ringer of ball screens. Um, I think that he's a better offensive player than Javon Delorier, who is a useful, yeah. energetic defender who can come in and he can dunk and he can run in on the break with these guys. But I like Jack White's ability to space the floor, and I like the fact that he plays tough defensively. I think that he is the best guy to play with this group. I think so, too. Uh, offensively, the name of the game with those four players is you need the fifth person to stay out of the way, and Jack White does that. The other two, I don't think, do that. Just they're like physically in the way. Yeah. Um, and then their, his ability to contribute as a capable defender is, is really useful. Yeah, shout out White Jack. Um, let's go on ahead and move on. We wanted to talk about 
let's go with Bull Bull next, and we'll finish on some of the guys that we've really liked to, I think, have like stood out so far. They maybe weren't yeah. so much on the radar. Um, I wrote about Bull Bull today at The Athletic. Go to The Athletic. Read about Bull Bull. Um, one of the most fascinating prospects that I can remember for a number of reasons, because I, I, I am at the point where like I genuinely believe his offensive game is like special. I think he is like yeah. a potentially elite offensive player at the NBA level. I think that that's 100% true. Uh, his ability to pull up for a player of his size is unique and, and distinct. Um, I, I have no doubts about his ability to be an offensive player. He real bad defensively. It's not good. Other um, than he blocks shots. But like, so he blocks shots. <laughs> Seven of his 17 blocks this year are on jump shots. 100%. Um, if you watch him as an interior defender, it's been not very good. Uh, he actually has really struggled as an interior defender so far. He's late rotating. Sometimes he just chooses not to rotate. Sometimes like he just misses where he's supposed to be. Um, and that's like a small thing. The next thing, and it's not a small thing at all, by the way, but like that is, that is like the third biggest problem. The second biggest problem is that he gets pinned constantly in post defense. Yes. Um, Texas Southern did it with Trayvon Reed when Kevin, or not Kevin, Kenny Wooten went down in that game with an injury. Um, you know, like guys like Luca Garza for Iowa were doing it. And some of the guys on Syracuse even had, uh, had some reasonable success against him. So that is a significant problem given his frame. Yeah. None of this is the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that I think he might be one of the five worst pick and roll defenders in college basketball. Uh, that's certainly in play, man. He does not move particularly well when it comes to that. Like I've probably watched, I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched every college basketball team. I've probably watched a hundred college basketball teams so far this year. Play at least one game. Sure. He is up there. <laughs> like, if you had to have one player defend a pick and roll, would you rather have Marquise um, Bolden or I knew, were, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I hate you so much. I think Bolden. I kind of do too. <laughs> like he, but that's the thing. Like Bolden's two years older. He knows what he's doing at least. Um, that's at least a useful, like he at least knows where to be. Feature. He can't, he can't move his feet all that well, but like he knows where to be. Bolden doesn't know where to be yet. Like he doesn't know how to right. close the gap between the roller and the ball handler. Uh, he doesn't really like even, defend in pick and roll sometimes like there was a play against iowa where like somehow instead of staying parallel to the baseline he ended up perpendicular to the baseline (laughs) um i I don't know what happened there um he's just bad in space and like their transition defense isn't very good it's i I don't know what to do with him like he is i think someone's going to take him in the top 10 because the offense like calls for it Uh, He is genuinely an unbelievable offensive player and like in the right scheme defensively, like Oregon has started playing a ton of zone because they realized that he can't move out in space. Um, The problem with Oregon playing zone is then that you end up having like Kenny Wooten floating out on a wing, which isn't good for Kenny Wooten. It's kind of like what happened with Robert Williams last year. Uh, Like Robert Williams wasn't quite as good of a defender as you would think. Like, I didn't honestly, like he won the sec defensive player of the year, but I thought that was kind of crazy. Um, sure. Like he was a good defender and he was good in the role that qualified that he, like he performed 
but he just wasn't like he wasn't all that valuable defensively because he was standing in the corner a lot of the time. Right. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Bobo is like the ultimate case of incredible outlier skills versus just like horrifically devastating weaknesses for the position he's going to play. Yeah. And I I have no idea how you measure those. To be honest, like I'm probably a little lower on him than most people because while I think the offensive game is very special uh, and unique, and I, 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 like you, believe it to be as good as advertised, it is not clear to me that an NBA team will be willing to run their offense through him. I'm not even sure what that would look like, to be See, totally like, honest with you. I, I don't know that you need to, though, because he's That's he, fair. you can just run like pick and pops with him, and it opens everything up. Right. Yes. Um, and like, I, I actually genuinely think he's a 40% three point shooter. I don't disagree as a seven foot two guy. He's a 40% three point shooter. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, is he like one of the two best offensive players on a team? One of the three best. Yeah. I think he's like one of the two best. Probably. He's probably one of the okay. two most skilled offensive players. Yeah. I don't know that he's going to get that much usage, but maybe so. And really, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to say is that as you scale down the usage on offense, the importance of the defensive problems increases yeah. uh, significantly like because if, here's you're just saying. losing a lot of value. If you told me that he is, if you told me he averages 20 points a game in an NBA season, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think I would either, I guess. Yeah. So um, like, that's like, that's like no, a that's potential fair. like primary player in the NBA. Because he, yeah, he can no, lead the fair. break, like he can create early offense, he can shoot yeah. it like hell. I mean, he's like a Dirk fadeaway that even in the NBA, like I don't think many guys are going to block. Does the low release point worry you all that much? No, because he's 7'2". Yeah. So not really. <laughs> it, it worries me on those like Dirk fadeaways where he's like trying to create his own bucket inside the arc. But I don't think sure. it's a problem when he's like catching, shooting or pulling up. I think it actually helps yeah. his pull up game. Yeah. So um, I don't know. It's a tough balance. Like he's going to be, you know, it's it's interesting because like on the exact opposite end of that spectrum in terms of size is Trey Young. But it's the same type of balance that you're trying to find with Trey Young. Except where with Bull, he plays a more important defensive. Exactly. Um, and so trying to negotiate those two things is going to be really complicated, I think. And, uh, I'll, I'll say this. I would not want to be the GM who drafts them. Yeah. I would not be super excited the while first, also realizing that at some point I would have to take him. The first words in my story on bull bull is bull bull has a good chance to get a general manager fired. Yeah. Like it's in play. It's in play. Um, let's talk about some of the guys you've liked so far. Uh, I'm going to start and talk about Brandon Clark because I love Brandon Clark. Um, okay. I feel like I've been talking about Brandon Clark being good for a while now. Um, <laughs> he is very, very good at basketball. He is maybe the best defender in college basketball. Do we think that's fair? Uh, it's certainly in play. I don't like, One of them for sure. Yeah, like we'll see what his value is throughout the entire course of the year. But he is a six seven guy who can guard five positions and has a fifteen point five percent block rate right now. Yeah. He's really, really talented and really, really good. If he could shoot even just like a little bit, and I think that there's like basically no chance he can shoot. Oh, um, I don't know if I'd say no chance. I think that he might be able to. Yeah, I'm gonna say no chance, or basically <laughs> no chance. <laughs> you could ride with the guy. I know you don't like free throw percentages, but he's a career fifty six percent free throw shooter and is shooting forty eight percent this year. I like my side. He's <laughs> taking twenty three free throws. 
<laughs> so it's not any better than he's shot over the last few years. It's basically the, the point. But um, still, I think, could be a useful player in the NBA, just given the collection of other skills. Yeah, for sure. Um, he might be Andre Robertson. Like, uh, yeah, Andre Robertson is a super valuable NBA player. Um, he can like he can genuinely guard out on the perimeter. That's never been a problem. He was all defensive team in the uh, Mountain West when he was there. He might have won defensive player of the year in the Mountain West while he was there. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like very, very effective player. It's funny. I went up to Gonzaga last year, like before their season started and he transferred late because um, he uh, their coach like left. And then they hired John Priolo, who, uh, not great. Um, he uh, decided to leave after that, and it was like in July or August or something, if I remember correctly. And he's, he was just like there, and I was like, wait, who is that? And I forget <laughs> if it was like Tommy Lloyd or if it was their SID or something. He goes, yeah, it's Brandon Clark. I was like, how the fuck did you get Brandon Clark? And he's like, oh, yeah, he transferred. And I was like, yeah, I remember him transferring. I didn't know you guys got him. That's insane. <laughs> like, he just, like, was there. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's awesome. He's really, really he's good. He's really, yeah. Um, I do think that, like, the hype is, like, I have him as, like, a first-round pick right now. Um, sure. There are people I think that's think, reasonable. There are people who think he's, like, the second-best player in college basketball. I think that's a little lot. That's probably ambitious. Yeah. Um, And that's not, like, to disparage people because you know people who go on super people who are super analytically inclined i understand it he has like a 22 box plus minus right now um i don't really buy into that number but whatever that good um (laughs) but like he's an incredible basketball player he's in my opinion right now i would probably call him gonzaga's best player uh I think he is. Yeah, like he's averaging 16 points and seven rebounds while shooting 78% from the field and uh, playing defense at a level that like nobody else in the country is playing. Um, Yeah. You know, I I think that my love for Rui Achimura is well known and well established at this stage, but give me the guy who really plays both ends. Yeah, he's really, really good. Um, I like him a lot. He's grown on me a ton. Uh, Certainly someone that I would consider to be a first round pick at this stage. Yeah. Um, who, who's someone that you really like so far? Can I slide someone who might not even be an NBA prospect, but who I really like? Sure. Or growing to like? How about Grant Williams? Oh, I love Grant Williams. Give me, yeah. give me all the love on Grant Williams. I talked about Brandon Clark. So you give, you give me everything you like about Grant Williams. I'm not super sold that the guy who's 6'5 and basically plays power forward is an NBA player, but he's so skilled that I think that there's a reasonable chance that he is. Uh, so Grant Williams was SEC Player of the Year at Tennessee last year, is averaging 27, 11, and 5.5 and assists per 40 minutes this year, uh, has a true shooting percentage that is 68%, um, and just continues to put up a ton of numbers. And I guess perhaps the thing that's most interesting is that I think he's a really willing and good passer for a player who plays his position. Yep. And I feel like that should fit in somewhere. Um, the question is just, can he play beyond his size defensively because he's only 6'5"? Yes. <laughs> he's very, he's super long, <laughs> so that helps. Yes. Super, super long. Very productive. 21 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists a game, shooting 60% from the field. Yep. The big leap has been in 3-point shooting. Um He's only taken 10, but he's made five of them. He made three three three-pointers all of last season. So that's good (laughs) that that leap has happened already a little bit. Um, 
Who is Tennessee's best prospect, him or Admiral Schofield? Um, you know, previously I would have said Admiral Schofield, but like I might be coming around to some Grant Williams. I think I might be getting closer on that too. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna I have like them... Admiral Schofield quite a bit. Yeah, his name's Admiral. He's a stud. Um, but like he's also like... just the most fun player to me. Uh, six five, seven foot wingspan, shoots threes, just like powers up all over the place. So physical. He can move his feet. It's like physically a mini Zion. Yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> having said that, I- I'm going to have them super close on my board. Like, I did not have Grant Williams ranked coming into the year because I didn't really believe in the jump shot. I think I'm just yeah. at the point now where, like, okay, this dude is, like, very clearly just an unbelievable basketball player, and I need to have right. him somewhere. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm getting to, uh, and I will also have him somewhere on my board. Um, next guy I wanted to bring up, Alpha Diallo up at Providence. Um, Alpha Diallo is averaging, I believe, like 18 points a game right now. Uh, 9.3 rebounds, 4 assists. And the big thing with Diallo, he was one of the top four guys I left off my board uh, coming into the season in the preseason. He was always like a 21 to 25% three-point shooter. This season, he's shooting 42% and has doubled his volume from three, up to 4.4 attempts per game. If he can do that, he is an NBA draft pick. Like, he is full stop an NBA draft pick if he can be a 40% three-point shooter uh, over 150 attempts this year. Whether or not that happens, I don't know. But he's an athlete. He's 6'7". He can play multiple positions defensively. He's tough on the boards. He can pass. Like, I I will have him as, like, a top 70 or so prospect now uh, coming into the stretch here of the end of non-conference play. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I haven't watched Providence yet this year, but obviously they'll play Georgetown in uh the big east so i may try to get out to see him yeah he's that he's pretty interesting um do you have another guy that you're you're in on right now uh should we talk about jackson hayes sure let's talk about jackson Briefly. hayes that'll be fun or, or jace hayes as he's known on synergy at the moment yeah um matt curley i know you listen to this podcast <laughs> i love you matt you're one of my favorite people uh jace hayes please <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's kind of interesting because coming into the year, I thought Jericho Sims was an interesting prospect as a big man for Texas. And, yep. uh, now it just appears to be, uh, Jackson Hayes's world. Um, really athletic, bouncy, big blocks. A lot of shots is a great pick and roll finisher really fits the mold of that type of player, uh, rebounds well. And, you know, if that's the type of big that your team would be looking for, I think he's very much in that realm. Now, is he going to do anything beyond that stuff? Probably not. But, um, you know, Daniel Gafford is a viable NBA prospect because he does those things well, and, and Jackson Hayes does those same things well. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So, like, I think Gafford's probably a little bit better because I think he's a little bit more explosive. Um, sure. But I think that Jackson Hayes and Gafford are actually, like, kind of close. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even necessarily mean to imply that I think that, you know, Hayes is on Gafford's level yet, just that there's clearly still value in that role. Uh in some ways for the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. I think that and that's I think right. he may fit in there. Um, yeah. Well, he's like not a super, uh, experienced basketball player either. Like he was a football right. player growing up. We'll see. I don't know. Um, yeah. Depends on how he develops. Like, I don't even know that. I don't know if he should leave after this year. Um, I think that that is still very much up in the air. We'll see. Yeah. But he's certainly somebody who stood out early yeah. in the season. He's been a significant standout. Um, Let's see. Is there anyone else I want to mention real quick? Let's see here. My board's like kind of a mess right now. I'm just like <laughs> kind of 
throwing people on in random moving places, people. moving people around because I have to file this weekend. Um, yeah, I think that's about all we should go. Maybe Casey Apollo is worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, Casey Apollo is averaging uh, right now. He is at 16.6 rebounds, two assists a game, 46% from the field, 44% from three on two attempts a game. So not a crazy sample there. Um, thing with him, six foot eight, seven, two, seven, three wingspan, something like that. Kind of a prototypical modern four. Uh, has always had this frame. I had him ranked in the preseason. I think I had him like somewhere in the eighties. Very interesting frame. Very interesting athleticism. Struggled last season because if you remember correctly, he was like this student who was a very good student, but ended up being declared like ineligible for the first semester or whatever, because Stanford's standards are just batshit bananas. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So like really good player. Uh, I think I will probably have him in the top 60 now uh, coming up here. So, yeah, I'm excited about KZ Apollo. Yeah, I think that's very reasonable. Um, the shooting numbers are certainly ones to track, obviously, better from three-point range and significantly better from the foul line so far this year, too. Uh, so, interesting to see if those numbers keep up over the course of the season. Like, I don't expect him to shoot 43% on threes, but, like, if he shoots a reasonable percentage and continues to shoot a high free throw percentage, it's obviously really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm excited. Um no one else for you? Nobody really else for me. I kind of wonder if we should mention Iggy Brastakis, but oh, I don't really should. have any hot takes about him. We really should mention Iggy Brastakis, but like, yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, he's yeah. super interesting. He's six foot seven. He's tough as shit. That's the best part about him. Like that dude plays yeah. hard constantly. He can shoot from distance, which is good. He moves off the ball, which is great. Uh, rebounds at a reasonable clip. He is Michigan's best offensive player. At what twenty years old? I think he's old for his yeah. class. Older so, for a freshman. Yep. Older for a freshman. Um, he's the best player on one of the five best or best offensive player on one of the five best teams in the country. So he's going to get all sorts of publicity coming up here. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I like don't know what to think of him as an NBA player. Like the times that I've watched him, I haven't. Nothing has like jumped off the page where I've said like that's definitely a translatable skill for him at the NBA level um, beyond like shooting and playing hard, but. Um, he's been a really, really productive freshman, so he's probably worth a mention. Yeah, like, I think I probably have to have him somewhere in my top 50. Probably. Like... At this point. Yeah, he's just really good. He does so much of his work before he gets the ball, which is something that I love. Like, I love to see guys who can handle that and can really take care of their shit before they even get the ball. Um, I thought he was underrated coming into the year. I wrote about that at some point. Uh, maybe I think I wrote about that within Michigan's write up that I did, um, at the final four last year, previewing this year, uh, really underrated player, really just smart, knows where to be. Uh, I'm a fan. I don't know what that means for his NBA translation, but I am a fan. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly where I'm at. I think (laughs) shout out to Radford, by the way, for beating Texas. Awkward. Like uh, awkward. This college basketball season is just so dumb. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Texas, you had so much good things happening, and then uh, now, now you don't. Yeah, you can't awkward. can't lose by game to Radford. Although, like, hey, Radford, pretty good by the way. Um, they sure. did lose to Duquesne, who's down by twenty to Pitt right now. <laughs> but like, they beat Notre Dame earlier this year on the road. They beat. William and Mary, who's like not a bad team. Um, they've now won at Texas. Yeah. Good Lord. What a, Awkward. what a college basketball season. What a, what a year 
I am so excited. Uh, <laughs> I love college basketball. Um, Cole or Chris, whatever the fuck is going on right now. Close enough. I'm done with life. Um, <laughs> this is my third podcast I've done today. Uh, I did Danny LaRue's earlier. Listen to that real GM radio. I did one with Ben Ladner over at, um, inside the hall, the podcast on the brink over at Indiana. So go listen to that. Uh, I wrote about bull bull. So go read that at the athletic, which you should all subscribe to go read Chris's work over at sporting news. He does very, very good draft work. He is very smart. Chris, do you have anything you want to plug? No, I'm going to write about somebody soon. I might write about bull bull too. He's just interesting to me. (laughs) He's fascinating. I love it. Um, We'll be back later, uh, probably at the beginning of next week, uh, to talk more NBA, to talk more college basketball. I don't know what we'll talk about. We'll figure it out at some point. But uh, please go rate, review, and subscribe to the Athletic or to the uh, Game Theory Podcast. Seriously, my brain is done right now. <laughs> my brain is so shot. Uh, I need Laura to get home and like to shut down my computer and not do anything the rest of the night. Um, maybe I'll go see Creed. Maybe that's the smart move. There you go. Uh, Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, wherever you get podcasting content. We're up there on that website. Uh, We've been doing more video stuff, by the way. Maybe if I can convince Chris to do some video stuff at some point, uh, we'll start doing that more often. But if you go to CLNS's YouTube channel, you'll find some videos of Dieter and I uh, during our weekly podcast every uh, every week, I guess. This was bad language again. Um, You'll find some video up there of us talking about NBA topics, talking about uh, the Celtics, the Bucks this week particularly. So go find that as well. Um, Until next time, though, we'll talk soon. Bye.